Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there again, and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. Uh, Today we've got a real treat. We have uh, the historian uh, Philip Auger uh, joining us. Um, Philip Auger and co-writer Keely Winstone have written an excellent new book, uh, Agent Twister, on the very complex life of John Stonehouse, the disgraced Labour politician uh, who in 1974 faked his own death and who was deeply involved with as a, uh, a spy for Czech intelligence, passing on confidential information, um, top secret information from the British government. Um, today, the sound quality in this little bit might be uh, slightly not what it normally is, uh, because a lot of my recording uh, equipment is packed up because I'm moving house, so apologies for that. Anyway, without further ado, we'll dive in and hear from Philip. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye-bye. That's good. Okay, so welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. Today, I am very pleased to have Philip Auger here, who, um, along with Keely Winstone, has recently written a uh, a new um, history. It's a kind of a, a narrative, narrative-wise sort of history, isn't it, of um, the story of John Stonehouse, the disgraced Labour Member of Parliament um, who faked his own death and who had an extraordinary uh, life of kind of espionage and crime. Um, one of the, the kind of the scandals that perhaps is slightly less well known, most people are acquainted with things like the Perfume scandal or the, uh, the Cambridge Spies, but uh, this has recently come to prominence because there was a BBC uh, dramatisation um, with Matthew McFadden and Keely Hawes uh, of, of the story. But anyway, I am going to hand over to um, Philip now to tell us a bit about the, the story of John Stonehouse, who, who he was and, and the events that, that occurred. Welcome, Philip. Nick, thank you very much. And... Uh... On behalf of uh, Keely Winstone as well, thank you very much for uh, asking me to speak about speak out about our book. You described it um, uh, as a as the, the John House sto- Stonehouse story. We think of it as a sort of fast moving biography. Really, we've tried to write it as though it's a it's a, a fictional fast moving novel in 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 that style and it's one of those cases where um the truth is actually stranger than fiction so let me just tell you um a bit about the story 
at John Stonehouse and, and who John Stonehouse was and, and when things happened. The key event actually happened um, at the very end of 1974. And by that time, John Stonehouse was still a Labour MP. He'd been a very prominent in the Labour Party in the 50s and 60s. And in Harold Wilson's Labour government from 1960 through to 1970, at Stonehouse had had some pretty senior ministerial positions. He was never quite in the cabinet, but he attended cabinet. He was Minister of Aviation, Minister of Technology. He was Britain's last Postmaster General. And for a while, he was very much seen as a rising star of the Labour Party. Some people thought he, he might be a future Prime Minister. By 1974, though, his star was slightly in the way, and we'll perhaps come on to the reasons for that a bit later. There'd been a general election um, in 1970. Uh, Wilson had lost that. Um, the election was won by the Conservatives under Edward Heath. And it, Stonehouse, like the rest of the Labour MPs, was in opposition. And the event for which he's best known is that at the end of November 1974, he quite simply faked his own death in quite bizarre circumstances, really. He flew over to Miami, stayed at a very luxurious, rather famous hotel, the Fontainebleau Hotel. It's where Elvis had stayed, where Frank Sinatra used to sing. It was, the, it was where the opening scenes of Goldfinger were actually filmed. Sean Connery's famous dive into the swimming pool all happened there. So Stonehouse flew over there. He, very, he checked into uh, his room. He took a, along uh, a colleague to accompany him. They went about some fairly routine business meetings. Colleague went for a nap. Stonehouse said he was going swimming. Mm -hmm. He cunningly checked his clothes into the beach club, made sure that he was noticed, and made his way down to the sea, apparently to go swimming, except that he didn't go swimming. He crept round to the hotel next door, where he'd stashed a set of his clothes, uh, a spare passport and tickets and credit cards and other things, and then just simply disappeared to the other side of the world, to Australia, where he made his way quite safely through customs and immigrations with the intention of starting a new life. Mm -hmm. That was the, the faked death of John Stonehouse. So, I mean, what had led to, to him taking these extraordinary measures? Um, what is some of the, the, the backstory here? Well, that's a very good question. And there really, there are three reasons, really. Uh, Keely and I think that Probably the biggest reason was that um, as his political star had waned, he got, a, he, he got a taste for high living, a very expensive lifestyle, and he decided that if he wasn't going to be uh, a government minister, he, he lost some money as a result of that, his salary went down, but he would replace that lost money by starting his own business. Mm. And uh, the business that he started, he started a number, but the, the, one, the, the one that got him into trouble was a business um, that was a, a bank. And the bank just didn't work out very well at all. Um, 
there was a banking crisis at the time. The period 1970 to 1974 was a, mm. a, a tricky period in, 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 in British history. Um, Heath's government lost control of the economy. First of all, having a kind of dash for growth in the early 70s. Um, that went wrong. Inflation kept came into the system. There was a property crash. Banks went under. The Bank of England had to launch a lifeboat fund to rescue them. Mm-hmm. And in kind of in, in in the kind of damage of the bank that Stonehouse started, um, simply failed. Mm-hmm. Rather than admit to this failure and just put his hands up and say, you know, it went wrong, um, Stonehouse led his fellow directors uh, and investors a fairly a fairly merry dance. Um, cooked the books. And by the end of 74, his auditors, his accountants, the people that, that looked carefully at the books were absolutely on to him. Mm-hmm. He, he was, you know, there was going to be disgrace. So that is, that is one of the reasons. Uh, the second reason we should talk about is that in the 1960s, well, late 50s and throughout the 1960s, when Stonehouse was uh, a member of parliament in, in the early days and, and a, a government minister in the later days, he had been reeled in by the Czech security services. The Czechoslovakia at that time was, a, was a, if you like, a Russian, plot, Russian proxy. Mm-hmm. It's, we're in the days of the, of, of the Cold War and the Eastern Bloc agents were very keen to find anything they could about British government, British society, British business, and, and the Czechs were kind of proxy agents for the Russians. Mm-hmm. They paid they paid Stonehouse quite a lot of money for tidbits of information. He was pretty careful. He didn't give them a huge amount. He was mm-hmm. careful not to leave a paper trail. But we have we found in the Czech National Archives a 500-page file relating to Stonehouse's activities, and we, you know, it it proves we think conclusively that he, he was accept, accepting money over a long period. Mm-hmm. The Czechs was feeding them with a certain amount of information, and by this by, by 1974, defectors were appearing on the on the scene and beginning to name Stonehouse as as, as one of their agents, and so mm-hmm. he did. That. And thirdly, by then, um, he had uh, his marriage was was breaking down. He was a, a serial philanderer, I think it's fair mm. to say. And he wanted to escape, possibly to run away with, with his girlfriend, a woman called Sheila Buckley, who was also his secretary. She wasn't in on the act initially, but I, I, we suspect that eventually he hoped to persuade her to join him. So those three reasons, um, mm. money, Espionage and love. Yeah, <coughs> he, I mean, he he strikes me really as a kind of a classic fantasist. Um, a lot of his um, decisions seem to be made on these kind of imagined projections of what might be possible. Um, <clears throat> you know, um, setting up banks, faking your death—that sort of thing. Um, I would imagine that the Czechs probably didn't get their money's worth out of him, really. But that um, strikes me as being actually quite quite common. With um, there was there's an interesting bit a point made in I mean I read it many many years ago the Michigan Archive the um, 
the the the, the book um, with all that came from all, all these sort of uh, recovered materials um, from after the Cold War, and so after about 1956, after the the kind of the Budapest um, uprising, the number of kind of believers, the number of sort of uh, British or or Western uh, mm-hmm. moles that really believed in what they were doing and cared about what they were doing declined. And then you had to the uh, the Soviets and the Czechs and the East Germans and other people had to pay money. Um, and the, the standard of intelligence that they got was fairly minimal uh, as a result. Would you say that's probably the case with Stonehouse? <laughs> yeah, you've made, you've made two points there, Nick. One was whether he was a fantasist, and then the other did did the Czechs get their get their money. Let's let's deal with the sec- let's deal with them both, but we'll start with the second if if you like. I think that the way espionage works is that I mean, obviously, what they hope to get is um, a kind of deep throat who who really spill the beans. What seems to happen most normally is that they're 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 having to put together a jigsaw puzzle from various from various sources. Mm. Um, Stonehouse presumably provided um, some small jigsaw pieces. Um, the Czechs weren't happy with with the information they were getting, but they yeah. continued to pay him for a period. And frankly, the the minute the minute if you're a if you're a government minister, the minute you accept money from an enemy agent. In fact, the minute you're an MP and accept money um, from an, an, an enemy agent, you're you're really in trouble. You're open. You're open to blackmail. Mm-hmm. Um, second, so the, the the first thing you asked about was the was was, was he um, a, fan, a fantasist? He was certainly an optimist. He was certainly a great believer in his ability to um, pull off these amazing tricks. He was in, we, we've looked at um, lots of video archives, and um, my co-writer um, Keely is a, is a documentary maker. She she knows she's got a rip. She knows her way around this field really really well. And we've looked at lots of interviews with Stonehouse. We've heard him speaking. He's an incredibly persuasive speaker. Mm-hmm. He's, he's good looking. He's charismatic. The words flow off his tongue in a kind of silver torrent. He was an he was an incredibly good salesman. In fact, while he was minister for aviation um, under Harold Wilson's uh, government in the nineteen sixties, he was very successful in selling um, civil and military planes on on behalf of the British government and British companies. He's a, a really a really able, um, a, a really persuasive salesperson, and so he very confident in his own abilities, very determined, and so he was. <laughs> He was able to remarkably create um, a pretty convincing false false identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having having created that identity, he then he then got the kind of chutzpah to fly across the world, breeze through customs and immigration, set himself up in a new life in Melbourne, Australia. So rented an apartment in a block of flats. So confident that he went to the local jazz club, um, integrated himself into the local community. He just just pulled it all off, a very charming, persuasive con man, if you like. Mm-hmm. I note from the, uh, the book that the scandal itself was covered up successfully by several governments. Uh, and I, f- I find it interesting that 
um, not only was this was this covered up by by Heath, but also Callahan and Thatcher as well. What what incentive would they have had to do such a thing? So you, you made a really good point there, and you picked up a what we think is really the most important historical strand in this whole thing. I mean, it's a very interesting tale. It's a cracking account of sort of the pre-internet age, really. It would have been much harder for Stonehouse to pull this off with the internet and lots of um, security cameras around, but we think he could still have done it. So you've got you've got that angle. But the there there is a serious political angle here. So we'll 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 go back if you wouldn't mind to 1969 sure and uh, stonehouse by this time is is a senior government minister harold wilson is the prime minister and wilson is told by the security services that a czech defector is alleging that john stonehouse was effectively a czech spy wilson summons Stonehouse into number 10. Stonehouse you know, goes, goes through the big black door, up the stairs to the PM's drawing room, and is ex- he doesn't know what's going to happen. Is he going to be offered a more senior job or what? Oh, no. Um, Wilson plays it absolutely beautiful and beautifully and says, um, John, I think you know Mr. Elwell. And this is Elwell from uh, Charles Elwell from the security services, and and they confront Stonehouse. Elwell interviews Stonehouse a couple of times. They actually interview each. He interviews him in the RAC club on Pall Mall, and um, Elwell concludes that there's no there's no evidence that would stand up in a court of law. He reports back to Wilson. There's nothing here. Wilson drops it. I should think Wilson was very relieved by this because Cold War rumours, false rumours, we think, always circulating that Wilson himself was a Russian sympathiser. Mm-hmm. His parliamentary position is precarious. He doesn't want, he wants, he doesn't want to hear anything at all about mm-hmm. that. He's actually quite relieved to hear this. And he, he, he says, you know, he called it off. He doesn't, there doesn't need to be a full inquiry into this. Mm-hmm. The stories bubble up again one or two more times over the next few years, um, but uh, the government doesn't really want to know. The security services don't push it through um, very hard. But then we come through to, um, to 1978. Now, by this time, uh, Wilson has retired and has been replaced as prime minister by a man called James Callaghan. Mm-hmm sitting on a very, very thin, um, a thin majority in, in, in Parliament, and hardly a majority at all, really. And um, the story resurfaces again. So Callaghan is a former, a former naval man, takes security matters very seriously. Um, and so he asks to hear a bit more about it. And he decides that what he's going to do is to um, ask Harold Wilson to come back in. Wilson's been out of office a year or so by this time. And Callaghan says to Wilson, you know, what, what, do you, what do you know about this? Wilson really says he can't remember very much about it. Um, and it looks, reading, reading the files, it looks, well, he doesn't really, he doesn't, you know, perhaps he's forgotten, but it must have been a pretty dramatic episode, even in a prime minister's mm-hmm. life. 
um, being con confronting a minister with a senior security services man. But Wilson sort of brushes that aside. Callahan doesn't look very much further. So now we've had. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wilson and Callahan, two Labour prime ministers who have been, um, you know, who, who've, who've heard the stories, not looked too deeply into it. But then a few months later, Conservative backbenchers who are looking for a reason to bring down the Callaghan government has hardly got a parliamentary majority at all. And they start to press the matter. And they start to sort of threaten questions in the House and all the rest of it. So Callaghan decides that um, what he will do is um, he will bring the leader of the opposition into the inner circle. And the leader okay. of the opposition at this time is one Margaret Thatcher. She hasn't been leader of the opposition for very long. The position is not not yet secure. And Callahan, but Callahan absolutely plays it beautifully. He says he wants to talk to her on Privy Council terms, which means that it it stays between them. Mm -hmm. She agrees. He explains that um, her backbenchers are pu pushing for an inquiry. Um, there's a bit of toing and froing, but Callahan eventually reports back to Thatcher and says, "Look, we've looked into this. There are st the stories are still there, but there's nothing which will stand up in a court of law." Thatcher agrees to call off her backbenchers, and so the story is buried yet again. So we know <laughs> Wilson, Callahan, and Thatcher, three prime ministers, have all agreed not to not to look too deeply into it. 
we find that that really surprising. Um, mm-hmm. It's you know it's and in, and in in the case of Wilson and Callahan, it's a matter of political embarrassment because they would have embarrassed their party. In the case of Thatcher, she had been she was briefed that um, she was told that there wasn't enough evidence to stand up in a court of law. So I suppose she's, she's I suppose she's safe. Later on, though, um, when the stories um, bubble up again. Um, this, by, you know, by this time, she's actually prime minister. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been embarrassing, we think. And again, she she, she brushes it away because there's not enough to stand up in a court of law. I, I think it looks to us as though um, Callaghan quite carefully manoeuvred a relative raw leader of the opposition into agreeing to look the other way. Because it's interesting, isn't it? Because she she chose to out um, Anthony Blunt as name him as a. Uh, uh, a Soviet agent, um, so she wasn't. She wasn't kind of above such things. But it, it must be your thesis that she, they had that Callahan had played her successfully. I think probably is is is, is pretty clear there. Yeah, she she outed Anthony Blunt, who was um, who was a had a position. He was keeper of the Queen's pictures, a massive establishment figure. Turned out to have been um, some sort of agent. When he he was outed, Thatcher spoke out in quite strong terms about um, traitors and treachery and so on in the House of Commons. We mustn't threat to national security, all the rest of it. It was actually only a few months later that she received another round of stories that Stonehouse had been um, had, had had been got had been had been spying. Um, that must have been very embarrassing for her. And this is yeah. the moment when the Attorney General really saved her blushes, the Attorney General was a political appointment, saved her blushes by saying there probably isn't enough evidence to stand up in a court of law. So again, she was able to let the matter drop. And when would that have been chronologically? Because, of course, in the mid-1980s, I think it's 85, you have the issue with Spycatcher and Peter Wright. This was was 1980. Okay, so, so... uh, it, it, it's interesting that it's a kind of a recurring theme for Thatcher for some years, these sort of issues with uh, supposed treachery, traitor, treachery and uh, intelligence. Yes, I mean, you know, these, these, these were different times, Nick. Um, you know, there was, there was massive public and political in, and, and media interest in it. Um, the the Cold War of the 60s was still very much in recent men- memory. Mm. There it's, were, as, there was I was going to say, uh, uh, by way of contrast, you know, and, and, and you know, casting no aspersions, the, the uh, you know, ha- had a British Prime Minister in kind of 1974 gone on holiday, abandoned his security detachment, gone to a... Uh, a, a wealthy Russian citizen's villa and got drunk with them, and uh, you know, even however innocently that might have been, you 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 know, this would have been a a, a kind of extraordinary matter. But of course, our, our former prime minister Boris Johnson did precisely all those things, and to to little more than a shrug uh, from from uh, most commentators. So um, the context of the Cold War really does frame everything, doesn't it? 
Yes, and you, and the it's in the context of the Cold War that you have to see the Czech security service as really um, kind of the acceptable face of communism, if you like. The Russians use them as a, as a soft way into into the West. Mm-hmm. There were there were many there were many Czech agents operating out of the Czech embassy in, 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 at this time, and uh, other MPs were also snared by them. Yes. Yes. I mean, re- from your kind of reading of, of the Stonehouse story, does it su- suggest to us that, um, you know, was Stonehouse a kind of a, a really a, a colossal outlier or have there been, is there a kind of a history of British MPs really existing out with the rules that govern everybody else? Well, that's a, leading, that, that's a leading question, isn't it, in these days, in, in the year 2023? Uh, yes. And, uh, or perhaps a, a better question would be, in, in, in that period, perhaps that's a, be- a better question to ask. I mean, it's, it's hard to say that another Labour MP called Will Owen was named by a Czech defector. Um, and... He, like Stonehouse, admitted um, he admitted having taken money from checks, denied that there had been um, great secrets passed across. He w- he was acquitted after after a controversial trial. What's different in the case of Stone and the the what is different now is that we have the Czech archive, which which actually is it's not just hearsay evidence. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's so I I'm only aware of. The only other direct parallel I've got is Will Owen and John Stonehouse. Um, Stonehouse is an outlier. I mean, in in terms of this going to these extraordinary events to fake his own death. I mean, we might just spend a, a minute talking about that, just, just how he did it. Um, first of all, he accessed, he, he phoned his local hospital and asked for the names of males about his age who died recently. He then visited the widows of a few of these males in order to identify whether or not they'd had a passport. So having identified a couple of males about his age who'd never been abroad, he then applied for their birth certificates, used the birth certificates to apply for a passport. So he's now got a passport in someone else's name. He had his. He disguised himself a little bit and had passport photos taken. So that's. So he's now. He's now got the means. He then applied for um, various credit cards under these under the assumed names. Set up bank accounts under the assumed names, using secret Swiss bank accounts. Booked airline tickets under the assumed names, and then. Just disappeared and lived this and lived. It's an extraordinary piece of, of bravado, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, a staggering story. So you know your your question whether he's a, a fantasist. Um, I'd put him more down as an optimist, um, just a great believer in his own abilities, a believer, if you like, that the rules don't apply to him. Yeah, um, that I think is where there is a read across to some politicians today. I guess that, that my final question 
would be because a great many people are sort of very much more acquainted with the the kind of the Cambridge spies. I, I see that my sense of Stonehouse is he's a, he's a completely different creature from them. He's um, and would I be right in thinking socially he's he's he doesn't come from that kind of class background at all? Um, is that that's a fair assumption? He's a, he's a completely different animal to the Cambridge spies, partly through social background. You know, his parents were labour activists, ordinary people. But the crucial difference is that Stonehouse wasn't wasn't ideologically motivated. Yes, he was simply he was simply in it for the money. And he's a curious man because there are streaks of idealism running through him through his career. He's he's got a great sympathy for the underdog. He's able to identify with the underdog. He did good work in um, the de- in in, develop- in developing countries. But there's always this there's always this theme running through his activities. There's very often questions about financial um, propriety. Um, it's he, he he it seems to me that you you've probably got um, fund, fundamentally um, quite a decent man who could never live within within his own means. He just got sucked in too deep. Mm. Um, Perhaps a little intoxicated by power, so there's this belief that he's above the rules, and then once he's in it too, too deep, he just kind of doubles up the bet each time and loses and gets further and further. And he's in it, he's in it up to the neck. I think it's, I think it's that. It's not an ideological thing. No. And so he was extradited, wasn't he, from Australia back to Great Britain um, and prosecuted. Mm-hmm. And what's what? How does the story end? So he's he's extradited. He's prosecuted really for financial offences, theft, and and um, and uh, and fraud. Um, he's sentenced to seven years. Serves about half the sentence. Lives on a few more years. Writes four books, one under a pseudonym. Um, does a bit of work on the on the the chat show circuit. Uh, and in fact, he's on a, a chat show when he collapses and dies. Uh, not quite on air, but very soon afterwards, a dramatic. Right. right. So, kind of, um, almost, almost goes out in the glare of, uh, of of the public eye. The lights went. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's, I, I, it's, it's an extraordinary story, and I guess it it, it helps to kind of helps to take a sort of like a snapshot of the times, I guess. And and it's a, I think it's interesting you mentioned uh, it's a scandal of the pre-internet era. Yes, I mean, I, I, I to be honest, I borrowed those that those words from the Financial Times. The Financial describe, Times describes our book as having a delightful pre-internet feel. Yeah. One of the things we wanted to to get across to readers was, yeah, this this is this is how it felt like. This is what happened when there's a, a, a general election broadcast the first time they ever use a swingometer. <laughs> this, is, this is the night when, a, when election night TV runs through the night for the first time. Yeah. This, this, is, this is an age when you could, even if you're a public figure, quite safely cross the world and hope not to be recognised. It's, it's, a, it's a, 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 very, a very different era. Okay. Yeah. 
we do we do think that um, you know could could you do this again? Could you do it today? If you if you were brave enough, you could have a you could have a go at it. Yeah. Okay, possibly. No doubt, no doubt somebody will. Well, there, Philip, we must finish. Um, thank you so much for your time and for coming on to, to talk about Stonehouse. Um, the book is now available in all good bookshops, am I correct in thinking? Yes, the book is, the book is called Agent Twister. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll um, oh, I beg your pardon. Um, I'll, I'll post a link to it in the, the show notes. And just a, a shout out to the listeners. If you can, please do try to purchase it from an independent bookshop because they really need your help and they really need your support. Um, and just one, just one, one last thing. Wait, wait a week, and it's out in paperback. So it's out in paperback on June the eighth. There you go. My mother is reading it and enjoying it. Um, and uh, so. Uh, there you go. There's a, a kind of a quality recommendation for you. Um, she, she sounds like a great woman. Well, she is. She is indeed. She knows a wrong good when she reads about them. Thanks so much, Phil, and um, all the best with the book. And I do hope we speak again. Thanks so much. Okay, Nick. Thanks for inviting me. Bye. All the best. Bye bye. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.